High School Slumber Party is brought to you by the Cage Club Podcast Network. For all things Cage Club related, head on over to cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. Welcome, distinguished alumni, future alumni, I should say, of High School Slumber Party, the podcast where me and some friends look back at our teenage years through the lens of some iconic high school-centric films. I'm Brian Rodriguez, and the reunion's at my place this evening. But first, we have some homework to chat about. This was your assignment, and I would like to see the results. And that, of course, is to hit the subscribe button wherever you're listening. Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. While you're there, leave us a five-star rating or a positive review. Also, a great way you can spread the magic that is High School Slumber Party is by telling a friend about all the wonderful things we do here on the Slumber Party. Of course, class participation, huge part of your grade. Follow us on social media. Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or you could write me at high school slumber party at gmail.com. That's high school slumber party at gmail.com. You might have read the headline. Hopefully, you did your homework. You'll know today is part two of our Garden State class reunion episode. Yes, we talked Garden State with Caragale O'Regan and John Brooks. We had a blast, so much of a blast, so much good debate that it's going to take us two episodes to finish this. So here we are on a special Monday with part two. But if you didn't do your homework for this class reunion, if you didn't come prepared, if you didn't bring that old invite, well, remember, check out the episode from Friday, or you're going to be kind of lost today. And really, you're doing yourself a disservice. And remember, you can listen to all the old episodes of High School Slumber Party on cageclub.me, that's cageclub.me, the home of our archive, and so many other great pop culture podcasts. So let's just do it. Let's go into it. Without further ado, pack your favorite jammies or your fancy reunion clothes. I don't know. (laughs) Tell your mother you're having a class reunion with Brian because we're about to get our reunion on. I'll get better at that one. I got to think about how I want to transition our regular outro to the reunion outros oh i can't wait to talk all these other reunion movies but first garden state something off the garden state soundtrack that will take it away with what a great soundtrack simon and garfunkel's the only living boy in new york class dismissed or reunion on i don't know Play right on time. I know 
how is like finding yourself doing weird things at weird mansions a thing that happens in places that aren't New Jersey because <laughs> New Jersey is is weird in this way and I know that like this kind of dynamic does exist elsewhere but because New Jersey is so teeny tiny but so densely populated you have so much of this like class difference like truly like right back to back so yeah. like it's not uncommon to be a adrift 20-something or teen, you know, just putzing around, dicking around all night, you know, hanging with your friends, whatever. Somebody hears about a weird party somewhere or something, and then the next thing you know, you're at, like, a weird castle. You don't even know <laughs> whose house this is. I mean, in this case, they do. But, like, you know, and, like, something extremely strange is happening. Is that a thing that happens in places that aren't New Jersey? Because there's, like, such concentrated wealth here, too. I'm not sure that it, it is, but I have spent enough time in New Jersey that it's happened to me on more than one occasion. <laughs> right? So... Yeah. You're right. You're right. It's such a Jersey thing. Yeah, it's a very New Jersey thing. And I think for the reason that you cite, it is it is a very weirdly economically... I mean, Essex County, right. where this movie takes place is home to both places like South Orange, which is like extremely wealthy, Montclair or Upper Montclair, you know, and also home to the largest city and urban area in New Jersey, which is Newark. And like, you could like walk two blocks and just be in a completely different socioeconomic, like stratosphere. (laughs) Oh, yeah. It's so bizarre. Essex County, good call there. Uh, yeah, it's. I grew up in Bergen County, so it wasn't the same. But it's just friends of Essex. Bergen, Bergen County definitely has its own vibe that's similar to that kind of. For sure, but it's a little bit more spread out compared to the Essex County thing. Because, like, just you know, I have good friends who live in Montclair, and just to see that change in a fifteen-minute drive, you could go through three different towns with three different distinct vibes. It's amazing. It's it's really truly amazing, and, and something again. He he's from that area, and. Even, yes, it's a Jersey movie, but really it's a North Jersey movie. And you can even put that microscope even bigger, Kara. I'm glad you mentioned it's an Essex County movie. So if anyone's from Essex County, you're like, holy shit, you know? Yeah. And like I said earlier, I think it could stand to be like so much more New Jersey. Like so many of their shooting locations are actually like really nondescript. And it's just like, I don't know. Why isn't anyone making any Taylor Ham? <laughs> no one's listening to. There's not a single Bruce Springsteen song on the soundtrack. Come on. What you guys are talking about right now, like one of the things I really love about the movie beyond just sort of the way it, um, you know, kind of beats in my heart is is I, I love those attention to detail quirks about it that aren't just like they're not just like quirks for quirks' sake, which was a very common thing again for like movies of this ilk of the time but yeah like the whole like randomly winding up in a mansion thing just like that fucking weirdo who like shoots flaming arrows in the air for fun and like you you know whatever like i i know that guy too like the things like the um when they're watching the ice skating video just like the handprints all over the tv and shit like little you know finger fingerprints everywhere smudges and i'm like i love these little like flourishes in the movie it really gives it I don't know, so much more kind of lived in, even though they're like a little over the top, that like lived in character of like someone who is really trying to observe, right, the the place that he's from. And um, yeah, I think that's what sets it apart to me from like other movies that are a little bit lazier and less 
I don't know, personal than, than this is. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm with you on that for sure. Anything else you want to talk about uh, before we kind of discuss the end quest, if you will? When we were talking about death before, I forgot to mention <laughs> that it never hit me before that like his scumbag friend that he runs into at home, Peter Sarsgaard, that's his name, right? Yeah, yeah. in Peter. real life. In real life. Just because I know there's like a bunch of dudes who have similar names. I, well, I there's the Sarsgaard children, and then there's, and then there's, then there's s- Peter Sar- Peter Sarsgaard, who's yeah. like different from whichever them. guys in this movie. <laughs> he's yeah, <laughs> he, he's a literal grave digger. He's yeah. literally <laughs> digging graves in their hometown. Yeah, and like it's a it's a very heavy handed metaphor, but like it works. Yeah, yeah, no, it, it works, and I think the first time I watch it watch it i didn't pick up that he actually stole that necklace yeah. you know i don't know why i was focused on other things right but like obviously i've since learned that and you know the quest is to go to get it and it's kind of you know as i think you said it john like kind of a sort of like an odyssey sort of thing um and it's aimless until they figure out what they're getting right and i love that we don't know what it is because and maybe it didn't succeed everywhere with this but zach braff is he had intended to make this sort of like an aimless tale of going home. Once again, it does have a three-act structure, Zach. But that last part where they, again, they go to that the mart or whatever, and he returns the thing, and then there's a, a couple other stops along the way. Oh, there's that... I, I do... Okay, I've always wanted to ask people about this. The hotel thing with Method Man. Yeah. <laughs> what is going on here? I don't know, but have you ever wound up at a weird... New Jersey motel in the middle of the night because it's also a strange New Jersey thing. Fair enough. (laughs) Yeah, no, I think it really is like, I think that whole, that whole experience is very Homeric, right? And it's like the the Lotus Eaters or whatever. Like it's, it's this whole thing of just these people who are like in this transfixed in this like hypnotic state and it's all very crazy. And like Method Man is like this, it's fucking Method Man and he's (laughs) L-Hop and it's like, all of this is super weird, and yet, like, it's just realistic enough that you could still kind of see it happening in Jersey, right? And, like, it's, I think it's great. I, I, I do. It's, it's a really good um, point. Yeah, it's an absurd fucking scene. The whole sequence is absurd, but, like, in this weirdly magical way, again. Like, he's borrowing from the Odyssey here. Like, there's there's no question about it. Like, there's a lot of direct nods to 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 the odyssey in that sequence but you know like and like the the whole thing with the the hardware store guy it's like a it's like the cyclops like you have to get through right you have to like (laughs) figure out a way to like navigate around this beast (laughs) who is going to try and get your number um and you've just got to like pyramid scheme yeah you've got (laughs) to evade it somehow and like they do successfully and then you know move on to the next thing and yeah i don't think you're supposed to read too much into like what the fuck's happening in the back of that hotel where they're all like watching illegal porn it's you know it's it's just they're all like high on this weird fucking thing that method man is giving them and um (laughs) Yeah, I love that. He's so great in that scene. It's just so fucking funny. Of course she's a fucking hooker. Girls who look like her do not fuck guys that look like him unless it's for coke, money, or fame. Huh? Well, Julia Roberts married Lyle Lovett. Who the fuck are you? This is Sam. This is Large. No offense, man, but why are you bringing these fucking people here? This is the guy who needs that thing. Wait. I brought you the tank, okay? You just tell us where to go now? That thing come with balloons, man? What, am I a fucking birthday clown? No, it doesn't come with balloons. Okay, suck it off the tap. 
And I need it back when you're done because that guy's holding my 39 bucks. All right. Hold up. Hold up. Who here just saw some titties? Raise your hand if you just saw some titties. Thank you. So everybody just calm the fuck down. Did you guys read in the IMDb trivia that he was really nervous to say titties in front of <laughs> Nat- really? in front of Natalie Portman? He d- he was like embarrassed oh, about it. Oh, Method that's man. Amazing. That's nice. <laughs> I didn't realize that the quote came from this movie, or I didn't remember that's where that's from. Yeah. We just saw some titties. Oh, yeah. Raise your hand. We just saw some titties. Like I, that has that has had more staying power, I think, than the movie. Has. Well, not that surprising, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about that abyss scene when they finally get oh, to God. the end of their quest, and it turns out that what is Peter Sarsgaard's character's name? Oh God, I want to. Uh... Who the hell knows? Oh, Peter Sarsgaard is basically realized he was kind of a dick, you know, reconnected with his friend. At least I think, and he has tracked down the uh, the mother, the jewelry piece from Largeman's mother, and the jewelers who happen to have it um, are also I so I guess environmentalists who are protecting this quarry and there's just like this boat thing at the bottom of this quarry very iconic in terms of i think it, uh part of that scene's on the poster right when they're screaming with it with the bags and stuff so mm-hmm. john you seem to be chomping at the bit what do you think of this whole scene here first of all his character's name is mark but like it's peter sarsgaard so, you know yeah um, <laughs> it's, a, it's a wonderful peter sarsgaard performance the scene when they are all screaming into the abyss in trash cans uh, or in trash bags is like, I was like, that's how I fucking feel right now. <laughs> like, Who among us, I wrote this in my notes, who among us doesn't want to scream into the abyss yeah. in the pouring rain? Yeah. I sure do. It's a very heavy handed metaphor, but man, does it work. And it just feels so, it is exactly like how that scene should be playing out. When he just goes to the edge of the abyss and is like looking down and just starts fucking screaming literally screaming nothing into nothingness right and just like that being therapeutic and being the sort of moment like where somehow also he like finds meaning is i'm like okay that that works for the kind of angst and ennui that this movie is trying to to discuss right and it's such a it's also like a beautifully shot scene it's just it's so well put together and the song it's the perfect song and the song is perfect yeah yeah love that song bye hey albert yeah good luck exploring the infinite abyss thank you hey you too Yeah, there's a reason why it's like on the poster, right? Because that really is ultimately like that's what the movie is, is screaming into the abyss because it feels good and hoping maybe like 
I don't know, someone's going to scream back or something, but you know, like just hoping for like something to fucking happen as a result of that. Yeah. It's, it's the meaningless of it, the like the meaninglessness of it is the meaning of it. If that, if that, I don't know. I didn't mean for that to sound like dumb and profound at the same time. No, but like, that's a hundred percent true. Yeah. That's the meaninglessness is the point. Right. And it's just wonderful. Like, it's just a, it's, <laughs> it's just great. I think that's the moment that all three of them are like, yeah, everything's fucked up. And like, okay, this is where we, this is where we all, all three of us sort of exist. And like where we all share space is that we are all absolutely perplexed and confused and, and defeated by life. But like, let's get on with it and just scream into this giant hole as a, as a way of like coming together. Yeah. It's a great scene. Yeah, I agree. I only had one problem with this scene. The song? No, <laughs> I, no I love the song. <laughs> yeah, it's a great song. When uh, Zach Braff says to the dude, good luck exploring yeah. uh, your abyss, I wish they just left it at that. Because like I already got the meaning. <laughs> I, I didn't need him to be like, you too. Oh, fuck life. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like th- There's a couple moments here that... I, I do really like this movie, but there's a couple moments here that I think the script could have just been tightened a little yes in terms Thank of it was you. like it hit me on the head a little yeah. bit yeah, yeah. too so much many times where i was like we get it <laughs> yeah well, because it's also because it's, it's like the first time that he likes somebody where he's like he's like oh this dude's got it figured out he's living in the bottom of a fucking hole in some trailer like or in some old boat like with his wife and kid and he's happy yeah right like that's yeah. that's that's the whole fucking that's the whole thing that's the whole that's the whole point of the movie he like smiles when he says that to him like good luck with your abyss he's like proud of this guy like he, you know that's what he wants is to be okay living at the bottom of an abyss in a boat with somebody which again that's fine i didn't need him to repeat you too oh i agree i totally agree you know what i mean it was like because we got it at that like the movie actually does a really good job visually of like i bought in so many times and then they had to tell me why i was buying in which yeah yeah they show you and then they tell you and you're like okay yeah, and Thank it, you. it didn't make me hate the movie, but it just more like I would guarantee. I don't know Zach Braff today. I know whatever, but theoretically, if he could go back, I think he would tighten it up a little bit. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I mean. Yeah. Oh well, I mean, any any artist will tell you that if they go back and revisit work that they made, you know, when they were younger, it's extremely cringe like no thank you um it's all i mean it's also very interesting and i think you can like it can be good and sometimes it can be george lucas um, <laughs> you know but yeah i'm certain that now that he is older and like now probably has a more this is so first year film school and i think that like he's older probably has a more sophisticated understanding of filmmaking and yeah what i mean obviously like tighten that shit up so you're saying he should have like topher grace re-edit his movie for him is that (laughs) i mean i guess i don't know Uh, i'm sure that there's better options yeah two more uh elements i just really want to talk about uh in terms of the film the whole thing with the dad they finally kind of come to somewhat of an understanding uh so just to recap quickly his dad is also his therapist right or yeah um this is bad (laughs) this is a huge breach of ethics (laughs) for sure this is like his so his dad isn't his therapist his dad is his prescribing psychiatrist Mm, okay meaning that his dad is has 
for apparently his whole life, like theoretically been evaluating and diagnosing him and prescribing and treating him. And like, you're not supposed to do that with people in your immediate family for like a number of reasons. But like, you know, I don't know if you've ever had had to do like tech support in a job or something. And then the people in your family are like, Ugh, help me with my iPhone. And it's like, you have so much more patience. And like, you're, you can just be a lot better at your job when it doesn't, it's not also attached to the baggage of like, someone that you have a very strained relationship with already. And so, yeah, I mean, I, it's unclear, like, he has no idea whether he should be on this medication or not because his father can't evaluate him in an objective manner and like treat him in the way that he should be treated so but I also like I worry that like the way that this movie treats the way that he goes off the medication like a lot of people might see this and be like oh I should stop taking my medication I don't know yeah I guess people do that and they don't have to watch a movie to decide that also i i was a little afraid there was like mixed messaging on that like yeah a lot of people are saying no don't quit cold turkey on the medication you probably yeah you need it you really shouldn't do that it is very bad for your brain it's unclear when he stopped taking the medication but like when you stop taking brain meds cold turkey you can get these like brain zaps and it really it does feel like your brain is getting zapped with electricity so i don't know if those were the types of headaches that he was having Mm. it sounds like it but like yeah no like people can die that way you can have a seizure it's real bad however that being said it's really really hard to find help with tapering off of psychiatric medications. A lot of doctors want nothing to do with it. They don't want the liability, et cetera, et cetera. And so people wind up being on their own and trying to do it and just stop taking it cold jerky or it's too difficult to, you know, get refills and stuff like that. So people do it, but you're not supposed to. Please don't. All of that is very good advice. and um... <laughs> Not medical advice. Not... <laughs> I am not a doctor. Uh, I also just, you know, I, I read the whole thing with his parents and his dad sort of deciding he was in need of all of this psychiatric medication and help. Like I I read that all metaphorically too, right? When he's talking about how his mother was paralyzed and it's because he was doing very normal kid shit. and, And because there was this one piece of plastic, right? That just happened to sever her spinal cord or whatever it was. And, you know, his dad just being like, yeah, you're fucked up, have all this medication, and then, like, don't ever feel anything. You know, again, there's something about my, and I hate to, like, harp on my microgeneration, but, like, this, again, is, like, what I think a lot of us were were feeling with, like, the fall of the Berlin Wall and the, and the, and the Soviet Union and 9-11 and, like, the way that that sort of bookended these parts of our lives, that we were basically... And also like climate change, right? Where like the older generation just like fucked everything up and then was just like, oh yeah, um, you you should just do all this shit so you don't have to worry about it or deal with it, you know? And it like, there was no reckoning. It was always just sort of like, you know, like I tell the story a lot to my, to my students that when I was in like fifth grade, we weren't allowed to wear name tags on field trips because we were told by our fucking teachers 
that we were going to get kidnapped if we did. And that's how we all grew up, right? It's like, oh, okay. What? Wh- why? What? Like, what's wrong with your generation that you're kidnapping us all? And what the fuck? <laughs> you know, I feel like a lot of what he's when he's talking to Sam about what happened to his mom. Like, I, I feel like a lot of that is just him sort of being like, we we are basically being burdened with a whole bunch of shit that boomers did. And that fucking sucks. <laughs> like, we shouldn't have to just be numb to the world because we are going to be facing a huge number of crises that were not our own making. And that our our elders told us we could just kind of like pill our way out of that's how i read a lot of that like it does it's not realistic to me in terms of like as carrie you kind of allude to like i've come off of zoloft right and like that fucking sucked and like that he was able to stop taking meds and be basically okay within a few days like that's obviously not realistic right and so i i I always sort of went to depends on the medication that's true and how long it stays inside your body and how uh fast you metabolize it and the dosage and uh it's several different factors but yes but he's like on like a lot of shit for a long time and it just doesn't seem like he would not have any i don't know like withdrawal symptoms <laughs> that, yeah that would be well noticeable. and that's why i do wonder if he actually had stopped taking it while he was still in los angeles right. because like the way that he's sleeping and stuff which is like which isn't to say that those medications don't also have you know really significant side effects many times including you know, extreme drowsiness and sleepiness, but like just with the headaches and everything, like those seem like clues to me that like maybe he had already gone off of it. Mm -hmm. But like, again, who knows? I think it's interesting that it does actually work on both levels, the like literal stuff, which like the thing about his mom is like (laughs) some major unresolved trauma that he drops. I think that was the thing that happened that I looked and was like, how much le- of this movie is left? And it was like the exact two, um, two thirds. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then just, I never remember this ending, to be honest with you, the airport ending. Mm. I'm always like, how did this movie end? Uh, yeah, I guess he's going back to LA and he decides not to and realizes that, you know, he should pursue the thing with Natalie Portman in Jersey. Right. Do you remember that idea I had about working stuff out on my own and then finding it once I figured stuff out? The ellipsis? Yeah, the ellipsis. It's dumb. It's dumb. It's an awful idea. And I'm not going to do it, okay? Because like you said, this is it. This is life. And I'm in love with you, Samantha. I think that's the only thing I've ever been really sure of in my entire life. I'm really messed up right now, and I got a whole lot of stuff I got to work out, but I don't want to waste any more of my life without you in it, okay? Yeah. And I think I can do this. I'm not want to. You have to, right? Yeah. Right? Yes. <laughs> so what do we do? What did you guys think of the ending? Yeah. <laughs> I was kind of relieved that it was over. I, Which, like, I also, I had a migraine today while I was watching this, so... Maybe that also. Take it all with a grain of salt and a trip tan. <laughs> John, how did it change your life? Oh, the, oh, the ending changed my life. Um, <laughs> it didn't. I've never forgotten the ending, though. The ending is the one, like, one of the, you know, four or five parts of the movie that, again, I watched it for the second time ever yesterday. And, and that was the second time in, in 17 years. And that's one of, like, the four or five things that 
I've always remembered is uh, is the ending and the, and that sort of you know when he comes back into the into the phone booth um, and it's like you know what <laughs> like none of that matters so um, I'm just gonna go ahead and like try this and for once and like not try and really figure all this shit out but like just live life and see what happens and um, I think that's sort of you know weirdly like that's the 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 moral of the story or the lesson i guess and and um you know it's something that kara said earlier which is when she starts having seizures and that sort of thing because i i actually do or did have epilepsy um so i think we have like a lot of awesome brain shit uh on this podcast today <laughs> to go along with like brain uh, party zach Braff and natalie portman no i you know look there's a reason why like romeo and juliet die at the end and like there's no sequel yep. right i always get the feeling like all of these people including the like weirdo millionaire guy with the velcro like yeah they all just they live decent happy lives and and um and i get the sense like it's not it doesn't end with them resolving all of their issues and falling in love and like because they're in love with each other now everything's resolved but like it ends with them being like let's fucking let's just tackle these things and deal with them for once and like not hide from them by saying oh i gotta go to la and figure myself out right it's the same that's the same hiding that he was doing like behind all of the medication and whatever else that he was like avoiding i always feel like oh no yeah they're gonna have a lot of struggles but like they as long as they have each other in a in a weird boat at the bottom of bottom of an abyss right like that's the lesson and um you know the the fru fru song let go playing over the over the end there is just um yeah i mean sure it's like cheap but <laughs> uh yeah, it gets the I job mean, like, done that's you know? where it, it like that's such a fantasy that which okay yes of course it's a movie yeah. <laughs> and it has a happy end like it's an american movie but it doesn't have this a happy ending it, end. it doesn't have a happy i mean ending. it has an yeah, but they ending. decide to try yeah and do it and let's do it together but like what I mean about the like the 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 wife and the kid and the boat at the bottom of the the abyss and that's all I need like that's a fantasy too. Oh sure. Like that's that's like an extreme fantasy, you know, because you get this like itty bitty slice of life one afternoon where everyone's smiling and and like it seems chill and cool, but like you know go back tomorrow and that's probably a pretty fucking hard life those guys well i think i think that's like because i because so i have a wife and three kids and like i often feel like we're stuck in the bottom of an abyss right but like i'm still happy because they make me happy right? right but like again we don't know what's going on with him in a psychiatric capacity sure because obviously he needs uh, to be evaluated by a uh, ethical <laughs> professional that is not his father, which they do have one or two of in New Jersey, so I think he's going to be. Okay. I, yeah, I mean, they're not. I've seen a few of them; they're not great. <laughs> as long as he stays the fuck away from CVS. Yeah, oh God, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Listen, and shout out to anyone attempting to uh, access mental health care at this time uh, during <laughs> global God, yeah. mental health crisis, because it is rough but oh just like you know sometimes people do have mental illness also and that is a biopsychosocial thing so like yeah sometimes you actually do also need to take medications for it to feel 
like it feels for you. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where, like, you're in the abyss, but, like, it's cool because we're together, you know? Like, if you're, like, in the depths of clinical depression, you don't feel that. That doesn't... I mean, sometimes you might feel that, but, like, it's, like biologically very different on, on a physiological cellular level molecular level it's like really almost impossible to feel that you know what i mean and so like i sure there's a version of of the sequel where like it turns out he didn't have to be on meds at all there's a version of the sequel where like actually he's incredibly traumatized because what happened with his mother was like probably pretty traumatizing yeah. you know and the fact the way that his family handled it and all of that like he's got some shit he's got to work through and if he doesn't work through that stuff and if it turns out also his brain needs a little help with chemicals the hell follows you wherever you go and being in a boat with your partner and a baby in the bottom of a giant pit like and being horribly depressed is like that's a bad situation for everyone involved so yeah i you know i i agree with everything that you said i i just think like the way i read the ending of the movie i think lesser movies would be like the two of them being together solves all their problems and i think what we're left with at the end of this movie is not like his last speech to her is like yeah this actually you know what like it's gonna be really hard if we try and make a relationship work and i have we both have shit to figure out but like let's actually do that instead of coming up with excuses as to like why we shouldn't and why we should just hide okay but things. are are they dealing with well we shit? don't know we never see or the sequel, are so they it's like... just leaning into each other so that they don't have to deal well with that's just shit. how you read the ending i like i i, I, I read i'm the projecting end. a lot yeah. here aren't i <laughs> i am too but i think that's that's fine that's how we that's how we read endings of movies i i don't know how someone would feel about this movie if they didn't relate to it right like i don't know if someone in Sure. Saudi Arabia watching this movie <laughs> really is going to care about Garden State. So I think we all are connecting or whatever because we have some relation to it. So I did want to bring this up. Did any of you guys see Zach Braff's follow-up film, Wish I Was Here? I did not. And I was talking to somebody about this movie earlier today and was like you know maybe Zach Braff if he made another movie it would be good and they were like I think he did and I was like I don't know but I'm not gonna look it up hopefully Brian will do the research <laughs> and you did so thank you that answers my question about whether or not he had made another movie and no I have not seen it either I have not seen it I can't find someone who has seen it um everyone <laughs> says who like the internet says that it's trash it was just like a poor Garden State ripoff which is coming from him is interesting, and he didn't. He hasn't made a movie since. He's directed other TV stuff since, but mm. I'm just curious because I remember when this movie came out, I'm like, oh, I can't wait uh, to what Zach Braff's gonna do next. And people were thinking this again. Woody Allen's not a great example to say today, but people were comparing it like maybe he's the next kind of Woody Allen in a sense, like he's gonna do like a bunch of movies like this, really personal stories. And he did wish I were, I was here and really nothing else. And that's fine, whatever. Like, this was his personal story, Garden State. This is his magnus opus because it it is the better of the two. It's just interesting, again, looking back and seeing, like, how they were talking about Zach Braff Mm -hmm. at this time because they were really excited about his future as a potential, like, I was going to call him a singer-songwriter, but you know what I mean, like a, what do you call that, writer-director, filmmaker kind of thing? Oh, tour. Triple threat. 
Yeah. Yeah. Triple threat. Yeah. Exactly. And didn't really happen. Um, that, that's not to downplay the movie at all, but yeah. Yeah. It's just interesting. Yeah. No, I think that this, you know, I, I remember ever thinking like, oh, can't wait to see what Zach Braff does next, uh, even though this movie is like such a piece of my heart. But no, it's, it is a, it's a culmination, I think, of like, yeah, a lot of his life experiences and, and, and it's, you know, 30 years or 25 years or whatever it was worth of that stuff. And like, that's fine. I think he's a very, I think he's a good actor. I think he's a very good comic actor. I think he's just got a lot of charm and personality. Um, I've never, like, I've never seen something he's done and being like, fuck that guy. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> man, I hate Zach Braff. I, yeah, no, I, I, I like him. I just feel like this movie was not the sort of like, something he sat down and wrote you know in in a year and like you know got made quickly and and knew what he was doing the whole time this feels like a movie that required a great deal of blood sweat and tears to like get all the way through and not like he's just a machine who's gonna start churning out great movies now like again woody allen bad example but like has one coming out every two years, right? As Woody Allen kind of um, kind of has done throughout his career. Yeah, I never felt that way. And I was never especially interested in seeing what Zach Braff did next right, from a uh, filmmaking perspective. Yeah, from what I hear, he hasn't made really great movies after this, but um, I still like him. I like Scrubs a lot, you know? Um, mm-hmm. It was a great show. And it, I love the podcast that he does with Donald Faison about Scrubs now. And like, he's just, he's great. And good for him and donald Faison, high school slumber party legend just yeah <laughs> yeah totally <laughs> absolutely this to me every actor that i've ever known like actor friend people trying to make it in the industry has had this idea like let me write about my life mm-hmm. and very few of them get made so kudos to zach braff for getting it made it becoming a hit and him winning at least a grammy right yeah, I mean, I'm, not, sure, I'm sure that's not what you're what going you... for when you make a movie, but like, sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's get to our awards on High Six Lumber Party at the end of every episode. We give these awards out. So first award we give out these days, who was this movie made for? Kara, why don't you go first on this one? That's a good question. Uh, himself. It feels very self-indulgent. I don't know. I definitely agree with that. Yeah, I think he's, you know, he just was making it for himself. Yeah, I can't really come up with any other answer than that. Well, John, I was going to say, it's probably, though, that micro-generation you were talking about. Absolutely. Yeah, and I, I, I think when Kara says himself, like, that's, she's right. Like, that that's, it's himself and me, right? Like, and a lot of people that were in my orbit and... You know, and like the funny thing is, like, none of us talked about this movie, <laughs> really. Like, we all saw it and we all loved it. Nobody talked about it because it's like, I think it hit so, it just hit so deep to so many of us. We talked about the soundtrack oh, all the fucking was... time, but like, not the actual movie itself. And so, yeah, I think Kara's spot on. Zach Braff made it for himself and like people who were experiencing the same very particular thing at this very particular time. I would not recommend it to people. Like, because I will watch it more times before I die, but like I would not recommend it to people because I just don't think it um, transcends that. But that's fine. There's some movies that are like that, and that's fine. All right. It's most likely to succeed. Who won the movie? Which character comes out on top in this film? <laughs> I got my answer. Kara, you go first. Uh, I gotta, I gotta go with Gene Smart. 
on this one. Nice. It's just really, it's a personal thing. I just love her so much. And she's so good in this. So, so her character, though, comes out on top? I mean, she... she I mean, no. She's getting her she son into real estate. Times. <laughs> Which seems like a thing that, like, maybe if you work there for, like, a summer when you're in college, you'd have, like, crazy stories about later, but... Not a place I would want to be working as a middle-aged person. But so, okay, character. Who wins the movie? Uh, The once, twice, three times <laughs> lady. Wow, you went from a background character to like a super background character. Uh. <laughs> I love background characters. Yeah. Um, Despite losing her sister, she was able to help her redecorate a bathroom before she died and make a shirt for her I nephew. I love the bathroom. Gorgeous. <laughs> Gorgeous. Yeah. Oh, I didn't realize that's his aunt. I thought she he, she was just like his mom's friend. Oh, she could but be But that's a, a weird friend. thing. Yeah, it's his Like aunt. after your, your parent dies, you start to like get to know them through their like peers and their (laughs) friends and stuff like they'll tell you stories about your parents that just reveal things that are you're like i didn't know him at all (laughs) or like whatever you know and you have these like weird conversations that you're just like why are you telling me this (laughs) or something like that you know how about you john who won the movie oh well well now that we know his name is mark peter sarsgaard's character is the only one in this movie who like is just on top of everything the whole time it's actually one of the clever things i think about the way it's written is that you think he's the like burnout fuck up but like really he's the one who's comfortable with himself and like what he's doing and like has a plan and and yeah, he... desert desert storm trading desert cards. storm trading cards is and this also... also kind of like dante's inferno or like yeah. the divine comedy yes. in a way and he's kind of virgil yes right? absolutely Ooh. yeah, yeah and this she's... only just occurred to me and she's beatrice right this like random chick that dante met twice in his life but like never got over and will literally <laughs> walk through hell for yeah him. cool 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 yeah, yeah 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 and like you know his whole his whole like hardware store scam that he pulls and he's like i make my own money i make my own money large man like i don't ask for money i make my own shut up right he's happy with what he's doing and proud of himself and like you know it's not i i think again what outsiders would consider success but he's like works this job because he has to until like he doesn't anymore until it's like Desert Storm trading cards pay off. And that also, by the way, the Desert Storm trading card thing is such a nod to to this micro generation as well. Like the weird. Oh my God, the Dick Cheney. Yeah, and the, I... the weird fucking place that Desert Storm has. And like Desert Storm merchandise when I was like in seventh grade. It's fucking weird, man. Like, <laughs> it's so weird. It is so you know, my... weird. <laughs> my first memory is watching like footage, like uh, coverage of. Operation Desert Storm on CNN mm-hmm. when I was a child. That's like my first cogent memory. <laughs> That's crazy. So like you've been talking about this micro generation that you're in. I feel like Brian and I have, you know, the next, I mean, we're like solidly millennials, but like still it, that term is so strange because mm-hmm. people, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. Anyway, but like for us, like 9-11 happened our freshman year of college and then <laughs> the financial high crisis. High school, right? Sorry, yeah. yeah, yeah. Fr- freshman year of high school and then the financial crisis yeah. happened yeah. our senior year of college. Yeah. And so, like, I think about, you know, those, like, that eight-year period mm. that is just, like, 
I mean, it's not even dog year. Like, your 20s are dog years, but those eight years are like, I don't even know. But like, what was what was my point? Ah, it was it was smart and good, um, and I lost it. So, ta-da! <laughs> no, I get it though. That, like that 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 there are there are obviously like touchstone bookmarks to like your like high school through college life is like 9-11 through financial crisis and like yeah i can understand how that is formative and like a lot of there's there's elements of this movie that i think kind of echo that right and like the when the financial crisis hit again it was one of those things like (laughs) 9-11 where you know i think you you guys are obviously old enough at that point to be like that feeling of like oh everything we've been told is a lie (laughs) right like yeah yeah, yeah. and just being like and also being aware enough to be like this is not the first time this has happened guys like (laughs) you know like i was born in a recession i will die in a recession yeah because also i was born in 1987 you know like so there's like all of these you know you were on that like you were like somewhat cogent before the world started to fall apart. And like, we were just like born into that chaos or like we came of uh, awareness and understanding as, as things had already started to fall apart or like, you know, I, I don't know, but yeah, it's, it's interesting that you frame your (laughs) orientation of, of this movie and, and your life, you know, like through that lens, because I've been thinking about like our, micro generation through like that for a while and like how that intersects with this is interesting i think my early like my version of your watching desert storm on tv was (laughs) when i watched the challenger explode in school right right seven years old jesus (laughs) oh my god oh we're so fucked (laughs) (laughs) oh yes listen we didn't start the fire we did not it wasn't god damn it thank you it's always it's been always burning since the oh, world i'm not been finishing turning. it though i'm a big billy joel fan wooderson award <laughs> so this award is named after the wooderson character in days and confused famously in that film matthew mcconaughey's character was only supposed to have like you know one little scene here or there director richard linklater loved him so much that he was like let me add scenes for this character so this character this is an award for a character in the film maybe in the background who you would have liked to have seen a little bit more on more of more of yeah yeah i got you well i, I you know obviously Jean smart's character is one of them i also like really liked her like weird adopted bro- brother yeah 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 um but but the one that really stands out to me is like uh, he could have been used a little bit more again is the like the silent velcro guy like it's just a great character and i just i just love every every scene that he's in could have used one more maybe with him but yeah it's that's my pick. How about you, Kara? I don't know. Just say Gene Smart. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I didn't want to say Gene Smart because you already did. Um, I'll unsay it. I take it back. I don't. I don't want more of Gene <laughs> no, Smart. No. Okay. So Anne Dowd. There you go. I could, yeah, I think we could get just more of her home life in general. Always. Which, yeah. by uh, extension, would also give us more Tatembe, and also I think help to flesh out. Uh, Natalie Portman's character. I agree with that. More. Yeah, I think that's. Yeah. And round that out, yeah. Fair enough, fair enough. All right, kind of the opposite award Long Duck Dong Award in 16 <laughs> Candles. Long Duck Dong, famously very racist character, but doesn't have to be 
a racist character in this. Just a character whose omission would probably make the film better today. Uh... Don't say Zach Braff. <laughs> I don't think so. I yeah, no, I think every every character in this serves a purpose. I was tempted to say Natalie Portman. I know, I know you were. I could hear it like I could hear you thinking it. I don't think I'd get rid of anybody. I mean that that's the thing about it, right? Is like all of the little tiny characters still have enough of like a and again, a lot of it's because of the actors who are who are cast in those roles. But like I guess I don't really need the Jim Parsons character, but like that's a oh. You know, it's a funny moment. So it's one scene. I could get rid of him and the movie doesn't change that much, but it's a really funny scene. But so is so is the cop, right? So is the friend. Yeah. Like that seems fucking hilarious. And and No, I would keep both those scenes because Gene Smart is amazing in that scene with yeah. the Jim Parsons <laughs> character. So like that he's almost an accessory to her awesomeness in that. Yeah, I don't know. There, there's a lot of little characters in the background that I, I there's nothing here that was like, ugh. I hate seeing this guy on screen or anything like yeah, that. So, yeah. so I'm with you. Wait, wait, wait. Though I would, I would point out that Natalie Portman drops several hard R's in this. <laughs> she does. She does. Like right off the bat, right when you meet her, I really could d- d- do without that at least. So Natalie yeah. Portman's accent is what you what you get rid of. Oh no! I mean the word retard. Oh that! Oh right, 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 right. Yes. Oh yeah, that's that's. Sorry. I thought you meant like I thought you meant the way she's oh. like doing a Jersey inflection. Oh yeah, no. I, was that supposed to be a New Jersey accent? I don't know what it was. I loved it. Whatever it is, like it's a weird accent. It's great. <laughs> it is. Like, it is a weird accent. Yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah. Again, like very 2004. Right. Yes. But also, I mean, part of it's playing it like it's. It was at a time when that word was already like, oh, we can't say that anymore. And like, it's part of her character that she's kind of clueless to that, right? That like, hmm. it's not as bad as let's say like the uh, scene in American Pie where they're just like literally sexually assaulting somebody, and that's like played for laughs. No, no, for sure. But I, I agree. There's a self awareness to that, right? That her, her using that word that is kind of. We're supposed to find it a little shocking that she's saying it because it's like, I don't know. I, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, maybe, I don't know. I feel like by then it was already like, that's kind of the point is that she's like a little tone deaf in, in how she talks. But yeah, I just, I do feel like this movie could definitely benefit from a little uh, reading on like disability yes. rights yeah. and disability yeah. justice. I, yes. Just because like they're like, it's so rare for us to see representations in film and television of people with disabilities of all kinds, you know, and we actually do either see them on screen or are referred to off screen, like his mother who used a wheelchair. Yeah. Yeah. But we also, in the, waiting room there's a woman there with a service dog natalie portman obviously has a neurological disability in the movie and so does he you know like mental illness also a disability that's why i I, at first was like oh wow cool this is actually a movie about that but it's it's just like it's not and like that that's not really necessarily the movie's fault like our our culture doesn't we just pretend that doesn't exist, you know, or or that disabled people could have agency or interact with each other or organize with each other and, you know, that sort of thing. So yeah. that's just a, I, I like, if it were to be remade, I would like to see like a little bit more, 
not necessarily sensitivity, but like it would be one thing if she was using that word. I I don't know. I'm too tired. No, to I I, this I movie, I, and that's not my job. I completely think you're right, and I like it's it's weird because it walks this like really fine line sometimes because like the whole helmet thing where it's like it's kind of played for last but at the same time she's also like there yeah because she's also like fuck you that's my thing like whatever like i i'm fine with it and i'm cool with it and that's me well and he also like he gives her shit for lying all the time but like when you have like something that is visible like because epilepsy is basically an invisible disability Mm -hmm. but all of a sudden you put on this helmet yeah and now you're a hundred percent visible you're a marked person as like there's something wrong with you and so all of a sudden just the, the way that people get weird about death people get real weird about disability and any sort of like disruption of bodily integrity and and people just out of nowhere will ask the most invasive ridiculous questions and so it's like is she a liar or is she just like really sick of people asking really stupid invasive questions? Yeah. So she just like makes shit up to like answer them. And like, it, I think it turns out the answer is a little bit of both. There you go. Uh, I think a much simpler question next. Usually the Cameron Fry award is do our actors look too old to play high schoolers? Obviously we don't see their high school versions here. We see a, uh, Older versions, but did they look like they were, what were they supposed to be, 26? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think so. Peter Sarsgaard maybe is the oldest of them. I think he actually was in terms of, and I think he was like 30. He definitely maybe. doesn't, yeah, he definitely doesn't look 26, Peter but, Sarsgaard. But Sarsgaard also has a, like a boyish look to him, like and he always has. And so he can kind of play a pretty wide range of ages. But um, yeah, I, I think I believe them to be those ages for sure. Uh, no, I had to look it up because I was like, how old are they supposed to be? And then they say it. And then I was like, "Mm." and so then I like cross referenced when it was made with how old Zach Braff was. Um, And like, it's really not that big of a time difference. But again, dog years (laughs) in your 20s. That's true. (laughs) Okay, the the moment of truth now we're I have the uh, manila cards out the red pens. We got to grade this film on an A plus to F scale, just like they do in high school. However, we do provide the cheat sheet, of course, and that is the Rotten Tomatoes and Letterboxd scores. Mm. Rotten Tomatoes, 86% by critics, 88% by audience, so pretty high scores. Letterboxd, the film nerds, 3.4 out of 5, also pretty good score. Well, again, we don't care about that. Uh, John, go first. What do you grade Garden State? Oh, I mean, it's so hard because, like, obviously the way I've been talking about it and how much I love it, like, A+. Plus, you know? But, like, I know that that is a, uh inflated grade that is based entirely on my bias. So, like, I would say this is, like, a objectively like a B plus movie, right? But 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 like it it lives in a very A plus part of my heart. So So give it the A plus. Give it the A plus. This is no, I'm not going to because I don't think that's like again, I would like when I said I wouldn't recommend this movie to people, like I wouldn't. I, I fair, would not be like, fair. you gotta see Garden State, it's amazing. Cause like they wouldn't get it. But I still think if they did see it, like they're not gonna people aren't gonna hate it, I don't think. And I and I that's where I think like the B plus kind of lives, right? But for John in 2004 living in New York City at the age of 25, a fucking plus, like, <laughs> with a bullet. Fair enough, fair enough. Uh, how about you, Kara? I'm assuming uh, F minus? or. <laughs> 
No, I think there's two ways to grade it, one of which is on the student film curve. <laughs> you know, if I grade it as a, as a student film, I think it is a solid B+. If I, I like, got to tighten it up, but, like, solid, solid effort. If I grade it based on, like, the expectations of, like, when it came out at the time as, like, a important big movie... Yeah, it's much lower than that. I, I wouldn't give it an F. Maybe a C minus. C minus, fair enough, fair enough. So, John, I'm with you. I think it's a B plus movie, maybe a B, but I have A feelings for it. So, <laughs> I, I really do. I have A minus feelings for it. But be one of those again. fucking teachers who's like A minus slash B plus. I'm like, what does it even mean? <laughs> Just pick one. It's like. <laughs> Again, I I own the soundtrack on vinyl. I've... Oh, A plus soundtrack though. The soundtrack's real good. hundred percent A plus soundtrack. Oh no, no arguing. It's yeah, it's impossible to uh, give it any other grade. Oh, I remember the micro generation point that I was trying to make before, <laughs> which is that the movie poster for this on oh. college dorm room. It was in my college dorm room, Kara. If you were yeah, if we were at the same college and you came in my dorm room as a freshman, you would have seen that. Right. So this is what I was trying to say is that this movie was college dorm room poster. It was like the uh the 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 kiss at the Hotel de Ville uh black and white photograph yep. of your generation. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. I... Yeah, there's a few of them. There's also like oh, maybe Boondock Saints. Um, the MC Escher thing with like the crystal ball. <laughs> no, that had moved on by the time I think that we were in college. Oh. You know, your Bob Marley's, your. Um, I feel like I'm missing one really important. I, I had a Ferris Bueller. Oh, that no, sorry. My at home bedroom was Ferris Bueller Leisure Rules, but my college because I couldn't admit that I liked that movie when I was in college because I had to be more intelligent, right? So I had a. City of God poster, I had this poster, and I had a Royal Tenenbaums poster in my dorm room. Oh, so you are you were like, I'm film guy. That's my personality. I guess so. I guess so. <laughs> no, film guy has a black and white Pulp Fiction poster, which is uh, something right, that right, I right, Yeah, it wasn't right, that right. film guy. I was like, I enjoy these films. So just to close the soundtrack, my wedding song was... Uh, Such Great Heights, the Iron and Wild. Oh, I was version. wondering which one it was. I, I, you know, that goes all the way back From to two hours ago. Like, yeah. Well, me yeah. and my wife are both Postal Service fans as well, so gotcha. it worked. <laughs> Regardless, yes. Just in case any of you are wondering out there. All right, aesthetics now. Sleeping bags. So in high school slumber party, we're all having this slumber party together. We have custom sleeping bags based on the movie, and I'm stealing the shirt. One, I'm stealing the wallpaper print. That's my sleeping bag, okay? So you guys got to think of another print for your official Garden State <laughs> sleeping bags. That's a really good one, but I do have to think about this for a moment. I think the whole like aesthetics of Sam's house is like what I want for my sleeping bag. <laughs> <laughs> hamsters. The hamsters and like the weird pink shit and like, you know, shag rugs and like, yeah. It's... How about her crocodile costume? You can yeah, the that crocodile well. costume, the like... <laughs> The weird, like, pet cemetery in the backyard. It's just, yeah, I love the whole, that whole just vibe. It's just great. So we'll say a Sam's House vibe aesthetic is your sleeping bag. Yeah. Yeah. Kara, have you thought about it? I'm still thinking. (laughs) Or maybe the, like, Um, black trash bag. That's my Oh, oh, that's a slam dunk, too. Just sleeping in a black trash bag. I love it. Well, the thing that really came to mind was 
from the beginning of the movie when he's just like laying in bed in that like white void of a studio apartment, like <laughs> white bed, white walls, white carpet, just like nothing, nothingness, no furniture. I don't know. I could never live like that, but I do fantasize about like having some sort of room in my house where I could go and just be lay down in the nothingness. Um, so a nothingness sleeping bag? A void sleeping bag. I like it. A big old quarry of a sleeping bag. I love it. (laughs) This is my favorite question every week. So picture that we are in this magical blockbuster that defies space, time, logic, everything. It is every movie that has ever existed up until this second. The three of us, we know we are renting Garden State. But we get to the front counter. We see a sign that says, rent two movies, get one free. And I say... Kara, John, go to the back, pick one each. What two other movies should we watch along with Garden State for this slumber party? Two came to mind. One is a contemporaneous. If you have one. two, let's do two separate lists then, because I want to hear both okay. of them. So didn't you say pick two? I said, or you mean like one? We each pick one, which equals two. Well, sometimes I make it easier for the guests, but let's take the handicap away. Two, pick two each. So, Kara, what's your triple feature with Garden State? Okay, so one is a contemporaneous release, and one is a uh, precursor to this movie that I I think was very influential for Zach Braff, and he definitely borrowed at least one frame from towards the end of the movie, if not more. And so that one is The Graduate, Mm -hmm. which is also about someone who is in that post-college hurtling through space and with no idea what they're doing this and just like weird towny shit um <laughs> like i for some reason that came to mind a lot also all the simon and garfunkel obviously which like another banging soundtrack which is mostly simon and garfunkel and and then the contemporaneous release that is i think I, I always like think of these two movies together, and I do think that Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind is a better movie, and that's the second one that I pick. Nice, I like that. Oh, that that tri- a lot of similar themes, you know. That triple feature sampling to me. of the uh, manic pixie dream girl across uh, decades, etc. For sure. How about you, John? Have you had time to think about what two movies would you watch alongside Garden State at this slumber party? So, so Karen and I, you know, haven't don't see exactly eye to eye on a lot of this. I think actually more more than we than we thought, but um, on all this stuff. But the the Eternal Sunshine thing is is I think um, I've thought about that a lot too. That that's another movie that us also full of like post nine eleven angst in a in a really interesting way. Before we even had this conversation, I was thinking about Eternal Sunshine in in that same kind of vein. Um, and also like the the science of sleep, which which is around the same time. Um, oh, I had that poster in my dorm room too. That up. <laughs> I forgot about that. Yes, but okay. So I I'll, I'll go the uh, kind of opposite angle and and um, talk about like the two other kind of generational movies that still speak to me in like the, the the Gen X side of me, which is one of them is Singles and Reality Bites. I think like the the, the three of them together is um, captures a lot of of you know sort of the lost. I don't know, uh, emotional journey roller coaster that that a lot of my generation sort of experienced. Sorry, what did you, what was the one before Reality Bites? Singles. Singles, of course. Singles, awesome. Yeah, 
That's a little, that's a different feeling one. I like that. That's awesome. I love singles because like, I well, the reason I, I would put, I put it with this movie is like, they're both movies where I like, I just enjoy like hanging out with the characters and all in those movies, right? Like when singles is over, I'm just sort of like, oh, I miss these guys. <laughs> like I miss those people. And, and it was cool to hang out with them for two hours. And like, that's one of my favorite kind of sorts of movies where I, you know, I miss the characters when it's over, but I also just sort of, know that it all worked out in the end somehow well i i believe this worked out in the end our podcast today because like i've been wanting to talk about this movie in this format and we went a little longer than i expected i don't care <laughs> um Kara, this is way past your bedtime probably mine too so. yeah <laughs> um it's actually not but i do usually start my wind down routine a little bit before this because i have i sleep train myself like a literal baby uh so yeah regardless this was awesome guys you, you fulfilled a teenage destiny of mine to talk garden state for over two hours so appreciate that uh john you go first where, where can people follow you and please plug your podcast and whatever else you want to plug. Yeah. So check out hard to believe my podcast. Brian has been on a couple of recent episodes of that. We have about a month and a half or so to go until our season finale. Uh, We'll be finishing up for the season at the end of December. Cool stuff coming between now and then uh, until our hiatus, but we'll be back again in a few months after that. Um, And there are plenty of episodes of that podcast for you to catch up on if you're new to it and if you're not new to it then hey thanks for listening <laughs> love you very much thank you john for having me on uh, the burn the church laugh of the church yeah of a uh, stigmata and uh end of days that was certainly interesting and had a blast with joe too talking there so appreciate that and kara anything you want to plug uh i know you're anti-cvs but anything you just want to say <laughs> Uh, yeah. Hey, Brian, did you get your flu shot yet? I did not get this season's flu shot. Is it out? Well, it's about that time. Available at Walgreens. It's (laughs) available at Walgreens. It is also available at CVS, but like, good luck in there. It's rough. It's also available a bunch of other places. Uh, If you have insurance, it's probably covered. If you don't have insurance, there are plenty of low-cost options. Just Google free and or low-cost flu shots in my area. And get yourself one this year. Get yourself one every year. They're super important, especially when there's another ongoing pandemic of another, you know, respiratory virus, which... Also, if you haven't gotten your COVID vaccine, please do that, listener. But yeah, uh, COVID plus flu, real bad. You don't want either. Um, And just uh, please stop coughing on each other. Wash your hands, cover your face, etc. That's what I have to plug. Very, very important information, Kara. Thank you, guys, as always. This was awesome. This was an awesome trifecta. Maybe we'll do it again sometime. So thanks again, and uh, I don't know. Have a good one. Thanks, Brian. Thanks.
Whew. What a fun, fun, spirited conversation with Kara Gell, O'Regan, and John Brooks. Definitely, definitely get your flu vaccine, as Kara asked us to get. I will be getting mine soon. Don't worry. And definitely listen to John Brooks' podcast, Hard to Believe. I can't thank these two enough. Like I said last week, this is one of my favorite conversations. I've been yearning to have this conversation since I've seen this movie. So happy. It's such a polarizing movie to people, but you know what? Those make for, I think, the best episodes. Thank you guys so much for listening. We do have some homework for Friday. Regular High School Slumber Party is back, of course. But we have a first-time guest. Bob Fisher will be here. Bob Fisher, of course, good friend of Joey Lewandowski and the co-host of his How to Win the Lottery podcast. That's a book podcast here on the Cage Club Podcast Network. And we're talking an adaptation of a book, a book that was actually banned in a lot of high schools. The film is The Chocolate War. You know what, Archie? What? Life is sad sometimes. Two more names. Your name is Roland Gubert. Tell me why you're here! For an assignment. Who the hell do they think I am? I am in charge here now. The entire school is my responsibility. Don't ever forget that. If the sale goes down the drain, you and the vigils go down the drain. One more name. The kid who just left the field. When they wiped out. Kid named Renault, freshman. His mother just died. Poor kid. That must be hard. You know what he needs? What? Therapy. You can't make your life very bad. Very sad. I'm Baba. It's your mother, Jerry. She's proud of you. Put him down for the chocolates. This is more than a sale. It is a crusade. I'm not going to sell the chocolates. The boys have become infected. A terrible disease. Difficult to cure. Yeah, you're missing a lot of things, Jerry. I'm just asking you to take the chocolates and sell them. We're not asking Archie. We're telling. Jerry! And that's your homework to watch The Chocolate War and to listen this Friday wherever you get your podcasts. Forgot to credit the song I placed there between the end of the episode and this little outro here. Of course, that is Fru Fru's Let Go, which ends the Garden State movie, which we talked about here. I feel like a music idiot, and I'm going to mention it to all of you. I didn't realize that Imogen Heap, who does a lot of music I like, is the singer in Fru Fru. Mind blown. <laughs> so, drop some knowledge on myself. I'm sure you guys all knew that if you're into this little indie scene from this era or the Garden State soundtrack. But let's take it away with another song off the aforementioned Garden State soundtrack. I'm going to do it. It was my wedding song, Iron and Wines, Such Great Heights. And one more thing life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop, look around once in a while, you could miss it. Later, dudes.
still here? It's over. Go home. Go.